Welcome back, dear listeners, uh, to the South End Zone podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mull, here tonight. I'm hosting tonight because, Jason, it, it happened yet again. You're, you're all it up. Uh, you hanging in there? I am all it up. Uh, it's, uh, I sound like I'm talking through a straw, so I'll try to keep the chat to a minimum uh, this evening. But, uh, yeah, about as much fun as trying to, you know, cuddle with a bobcat. So, but uh, we're going to get through it. We are. And the good news for you is you don't have to talk a lot. The person who will be doing most of the talking tonight, I think, is our guest, uh, Jay Smith from Unfair Sports. Jay, first off, thanks for coming on and uh, and helping us out. Uh, talk about the Sooners and get up to speed on what they have going on. Uh, how's it going? Going well, going well. Thanks for having me. Uh, love, uh, of course, talking ball and talking OU so here we are baby all right well we are um <laughs> well so by the we'll- way before we get going Jay I wanted to say uh you know go ahead and you can spike and, and say that you were right and I was wrong about Missouri I said they were gonna suck you said they were gonna like not only make it to a bowl game but like maybe win double digit games and I wanted to just let you know I've been eating crow all off season, and Eric has not let me hear the end of it so I only give you shit about that one particular Look, game. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, no. So buddy of mine, uh, PG show um, here on YouTube as well. He's been big on Missouri and just because their schedule was just lined up perfectly. He, had, he was like, dude, telling you they're going to have a good year. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll look into it and believe you. And just looking at it overall, I, I got to give him his props for that because, yeah, he, he was spot on. They had a year. Now, I don't know what next year looks like, but this season <laughs> – this past season, yeah, they, they had it lined up perfectly to be able to run through the SEC. Mm. Uh, they did. Um, yeah, I only give Jason grief because we disagreed on on who should be picked in the uh, Tennessee-Missouri game. And he laid the points, and I told him I thought the wrong team was favored. I didn't expect them to win by three touchdowns, but I'll take it. Uh, this past I. year, that was this not past year, I yeah, I take any win I could get this past year. Um, so let's jump in on the Sooners. Last year, when we previewed them on here, uh, our big concern was: were they going to fix the defense? Because year one with Brent Venables was uh, Jason and I were kind of taken aback at how I mean they were awful defensively, um, and they made pretty significant improvement kind of all across the board. Right? Any any sort of defensive stat you want to look at, uh, they had marked improvement, right? Whether it's rush yards per game, third down percentage, um, points allowed, pass yards, whatever. In some cases, they're moving up like 50 spots nationally, which is the good news. Uh, the bad news is that leaves them somewhere kind of in the range of average in a lot of these, right? They're sort of a lot of between, you know, 40 and 70th, um, so it kind of feels like they still need to take another step. So we'll we'll start with that. What um, what are their chances of taking another step when they go into the SEC defensively? Because they kind of need to. But you know what what do they still need to work on, and how do they get there? And will they? Do you think? Kind of a three parter. Yeah. No. That's a, that's a fair question itself, right? We. 
We don't. Oklahoma has not historically in the last. Well, I'm not going to say historically. Oklahoma in the last ten years have not really been known for their defense, right? That's not what they've known. They've known for high flying offenses that put up a whole bunch of points and typically outscore the competition. And then, as the season progresses, progresses attrition hits, and then the team just falls apart, especially defensively at the end of the year when they go up against the top one percent of college football. And so, that has not been the trend for Oklahoma. And that's what oh, that's the trend for Oklahoma. And that's the thing that we all know that defensively we're not going to expect them to do anything, right? But the difference we've seen with them now in comparison to the last regime and then even right before that is really one name, Brent Venables. So Venables was a part of that 2000 national championship team and that run from 2000 to 2005 where Oklahoma was, I think they had more weeks than not in the top five. And I think they actually had the most weeks at number one that entire time, right? They were, or at least they were up there with everybody else. The defense was stout. The offense was stout. Everything was going good. And then things just started to trickle. And it's more so it seems like people started getting too comfortable. Venables leaves, goes to Clemson, takes the defense that they had there. Now, this is where I feel like Oklahoma can make that leap because it really looks like a mirror image of what happened at Clemson when Venables got there. And so efficiency-wise, I got some stats here. One of the things that Oklahoma went through in 2022, SP Plus defensive efficiency, they were at 55. ESPN's defensive efficiency, 65th. Sports Reference, DSRS at 52nd. And DFEI, they were roughly around 46. When Venables was at Clemson, it was about in those same ranges. They were roughly in the 50s and 60s in defensive efficiency the next season they started moving in the 30s range right this past season oklahoma was an sp plus 38th espn's defensive efficiency 11th sports reference dsrs 37th and dfei 13th so you're starting to see that natural progression that venables gave us when he was at clemson showing up here at oklahoma now this is the best part Oklahoma is ranked number eighth in college football right now for returning production. Number one in the SEC. So they're bringing back all the defensive dudes for the most part. Danny Stutzman, he decided to come back instead of go to the NFL. He was projected day two guy. Uh, Cornerback Woody Washington and safety Billy Bowman, in which Billy Bowman should have been the Thorpe Award winner. He had six interceptions, three of them for return for touchdowns, which was higher than any other safety in college football. But for some reason, he wasn't invited to the Thorpe Award, even though that's an award for Oklahoma player provided by a company, sponsored by a company that's in Oklahoma. But I digress. (laughs) He didn't get looked at for that award, but he had three pick sixes, which is, of course, amazing, right? So you're bringing back all of this talent. And the other thing that makes me believe Oklahoma will make that next leap is this past season, Oklahoma had over 4,000 snaps from players that were fresh, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or sophomores. One of the youngest defenses in college football. All those dudes played a lot this past year. And the one thing you you know about young players, especially going from the high school ranks to college, it's very easy to trick them boys. And so they will make young player mistakes. You know, they'll make freshman mistakes. They'll get lured into here. They'll keep their eyes here too long. And they'll get right. thrown Misfit off. Misfit a run, yeah. So all of that stuff... Exactly. Misfit or run. It's a natural thing that happens for young players. Perfect example. I always like to bring this one up. A buddy of mine talked about this a lot. When Bama and Texas played, 
and you noticed that Quinn was throwing a whole bunch of just deep passes and it was just landing in pockets, right? One of the players back there that's supposed to be watching out for a lot of that stuff was Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs is a true freshman. So he just kept tricking him into certain places because he was getting aggressive. He was keeping his eyes in the backfield. He was trying to watch the quarterback. So Quinn was looking him off into certain areas and he was always out of position. And so they were just getting him deep. That's why I don't like freshmen playing too early, but at the same time, I like seeing them get snaps. And luckily for Oklahoma, they got a lot of young dudes. They got a lot of reps. We've turned over about 90 plus percent of the roster since Venables got here. So all the Riley regime guys, I think there's like six dudes left. It's a completely different team look, feel. And so going into the SEC, the best part about them is, is having this type of defense is a Brent Venables type defense. Meaning, you know, the defenses that beat Alabama twice for national championships. He has got that roster set to where it's built to look more and more like that. So I anticipate a top 15 finish for the defense in all efficiency ratings because of just the the experience that we all have, these players have in his system going into next year. Mm. Yeah, I think they can do it. Okay, yeah. And that's part of it, I guess, what, what surprised us. Um, in Venable's first year, why they were so poor defensively? Because they had NFL players on that defense. Right? They had guys like Perry and Winfrey and Brian Asamoah and uh, Nick Benito and guys like that. But they were, and I guess the transition uh, just didn't go well, or uh, the scheme didn't play to their particular strengths, or what have you. But um, you, you mentioned Danny Stutzman, and that's a guy I wanted to talk about a lot because two years ago when they were bad on defense, he was kind of the lone bright spot and he had another fantastic year last year he had 104 tackles 16 tackles for loss three sacks uh interception that i believe he returned for a touchdown uh forced a couple fumbles yep. recovered another like it, the guy just did everything again uh i was kind of surprised he came back i don't i'm not sure how much he can uh increase his his quote-unquote draft stock uh at this point but it, mm-hmm. Is there another player that is more impactful uh, returning, you know, that, that his return means more to this defense and what it can do? No, I think he's probably the most impactful on there, but I do believe that having a player like Billy Bowman also return really is going to help propel the defense because, I mean, the big thing is going into the SEC, the trenches is probably the most important spot, right? But we're also bringing back some trench guys. We've got Dejon Terry coming back right there in the middle in which he played at Tennessee, came to Oklahoma and became a really good nose tackle for what Oklahoma scheme is set up for. Like, the is the funny thing is, is that Oklahoma's defense was so, um, I guess you could say somewhat feared. People started to recognize what Venables can do, start fearing them. They started seeing Max protect in every week. There was only two games they didn't see, uh, three games they didn't see Max protect. That was against Texas, in which we got five sacks in that game. Against that Texas offensive line. People, you know, they're, they're a good offensive line. They're not bad. They gave up five sacks to us, right? Um, Arizona in, in the, the bowl game. You know, we got five sacks in that game. Can't think of the third one off the top of my head, but there were three games total that they didn't go, teams didn't go Max protect. And it was all because of the type of defense. Because what what Brent Venables do does with his defenses is he he's very exotic on his blitzes, blitz packages, and he sends random dudes out there, right? And you you'll you'll notice it because you'll see a sack from like number fifteen, you know, out of the secondary, like Kendall Dolby. He ran out and got like a couple sacks against Arizona. And he's like, where would he come from? Or you or 
you'll see the one stat that I consider the Brent Venable stat, which is tackle for loss. Oklahoma finished in the top 10 in tackles for loss in the nation, right? Because that's the one thing he does is finds exotic ways to get people in the backfield and then they can make plays. And so Stutzman is that quarterback on the defense and you recognize the difference in the way the team played when he got hurt. They looked di- We looked different against Oklahoma State. We looked different against uh, Kansas, all because he wasn't there really to quarterback it. The guy next to him, uh, Jaron Kanick, he's young, and he reminded me of how Stutzman played last season because Stutzman had a tendency of being out of position. Venable's defense requires everybody to understand where they need to be. That way the other person can be where they need to be. And Stutzman had a tendency of like not being in the right spot a few times. And it was the Iowa state game last year. Was that like like an an over aggressive thing? Like overplaying something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like he was trying to, he was trying to clean up too much. Right. So so it's not like a matter of, he doesn't know where to go. He's just sort of overdoing. Yes. And and, and another thing was, is that the entire defense was trying to learn uh, this Brent Venable scheme, which is considered one of the more complex ones out there. It's kind of like, uh, Reggie Pearson, who had came here from uh, Texas Tech via Wisconsin, he played in a Rex Ryan defense up there at Wisconsin, right? Which is very complex also, NFL style, very, very complex. And he told me when he got here and he came on my show for an interview and he said, yeah, he's like, Venables is about as complex as it was with me at Wisconsin with that, that Rex Ryan setup. It's, it's, it's a complex defense, you know? There's a lot of shifting, a lot of changing it, but you gotta know your responsibility and you can't overcorrect for everybody. So if you're in the wrong spot, you just create a massive hole. There's nothing you can really fix there, right? And so that Iowa State game, not this past season, but the season before, Stutzman recognized they kept trying to use their eyes to move him one direction and then, then he hit him with a, with a slant every single time. He caught it. Uh, they threw the pass across the middle. Uh, the the uh, was it uh, Deckard, Deckard, the quarterback at Iowa State before he got suspended. He threw the pass across the middle. Stutzman intercepted it because he recognized he was being baited again. Took it back to the house for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So that mo- moment there was when everything seemed to click. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Canick next to him. But Stutzman is your top piece in the way to defense because he can he does a great job and as you point out the numbers 100 over 100 tackles and it was mainly him cleaning up a lot of stuff that little mistakes from everybody else and so he's your centerpiece the big most impactful coming in but i think billy bowman is one is also to to consider because just his ability right. to move Troll around that back end there yeah at strong safety yeah he 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 did a great job of of cleaning up stuff as well as the turnovers. He was, he helped create, create interceptions when he, when he hit the uh, uh, Sanders, the safety at Texas. So Kendall Dobie can get that pop-up interception out there at the end zone. And then of course, like I said, he returned three interceptions for touchdowns because he was in the right spot at the right time, reading the eyes of the quarterback, having those two key pieces, man, it's going to be huge going into the SEC. It's going to force teams to really think about where they go with the ball. Mm. Uh, so the last one, um, before I turn it over to Jason, talk about the offensive side of the ball. This is kind of a standard question. I don't know that it applies as much to Oklahoma with all that returning production that you talked about, but um, if they were to dip into the old uh, transfer portal, and I don't necessarily enjoy talking a ton about it, but um, say after spring practice, uh, they want to go find a guy in the portal, what would be the most likely position group or just specific position where they may need some help? 
or they may at least at this point say think tackle. the roster needs some help. Yeah, I say defensive tackle is going to be the place they're going to go. So, like, the defensive line, more so a nose tackle or maybe a three technique, possibly a four, is most likely where Oklahoma is going to need an additional help. So, this morning, I actually just dropped a video literally a couple minutes ago before we started. Um, Coach Venables went on a local show, the Oklahoma Breakdown, and he was giving some injury updates. And one player in particular, Jacob Lacey, uh, one of our nose uh, defensive tackles, he is medically redshirting, I mean, sorry, medically retiring from football mm. because he had two pulmonary uh, embolisms in the la- in less than a year. So those blood clots basically said, hey, man, the doctor told me he needs to go ahead and stop playing. So he announced this morning he's going to retire. And so that leaves us young, really, really young at the defensive tackle spot. That's probably most likely where they're going to go after. If anything, a nose would be nice to have right next to Dejon Terry. So that you know you can you can have some rotational pieces with the experience. So, but outside of that, I think that that that's probably the number one place we will go out. And then number two, if there's a second position we would probably look at, it's going to be uh, offensive line, in which we'll talk more about the offense in a minute. But uh, getting probably like a guard or a tackle just to mm-hmm. add additional depth, probably the two places you could see us going into the portal for. Yeah, because rotating those guys, especially the interior D-line, is kind of a Venables staple when you think about what he was cycling through at Clemson, right, with guys like Brian Bercy yep. and, uh, gosh, who else? You know, Desher Lawrence and uh, all these Watkins. guys. Farrell, <laughs> Watkins. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just like an assembly line of, of dudes up front, right? And it, it didn't, from an outsider looking in, it didn't seem like he's kind of gotten there yet with Oklahoma in terms of being able to run four of those guys out there and cycle them through every game. So, um, so we'll, we'll see, uh, time will tell, but, uh, Jason, yeah, let's, let's hear that. Let's hear that luxurious voice of yours. Oh, stop. Uh, okay. So, uh, talking about offense a little bit, Jay, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was the, and we know Jeff Lebby is off to Mississippi state to be their head coach and all that. Uh, now, uh, Allie was our other counterpart was going to be on with us last night, but we had to reschedule for tonight and something she wanted to ask about, which I wanted to throw your direction first was what your thoughts are on the Latrell slash Finley co-offensive coordinator situation. I mean, should we expect any major scheme changes? I mean, I know Latrell kind of still comes from that Kiffin, you know, Lebby sort of system has some experience mm-hmm. as a head coach in North Texas, but, and then you've got Finley. I mean, both of these dudes played at Oklahoma. They're both OU, you know, blood. So, What's your what's your thoughts on the OC situation? Should we expect any big changes, uh, you know, scheme wise or anything like that? I'm gonna say yes. I expect kind of a more power type of offense because I mean, if you look at Seth Luttrell, that jawline tells you everything you need to know about <laughs> him, right? He's a dude that's gonna go out there and he's he's wrestler. He wants to pound the ball. He was a fullback here for the Natty team. Um, yeah, he's going to be all about that. And I know that he's going to be the main play caller. Uh, it's my understanding. And, and, uh, Joe John Finley, another, of course he said Oklahoma alum, he comes from, he's been around everywhere with Jeff Levy basically. And so those elements of that air raid offense will still be there. Uh, we'll, we'll probably still have a high octane offense, 
but there'll be a more controlled pace to it, right? There'll be moments where there needs to be pace. There'll be moments where we're going to just slow it down and run down your throat and get you tired, right? So my anticipation is you'll see more usage of the tight end in this system because that's one thing I've noticed with Levy, even with Lane Kiffin, you know, that's where uh, Levy, you know, learned a lot from Kiffin and Josh Heupel or whatnot. They don't use a tight end a lot. That's not their spot. Like, I mean, perfect example, Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg both went to Ole Miss together as a package deal, and Trigg's now gone, right? Because they didn't really use tight ends very much in what Kiffin does. And so uh, Levy was kind of similar. You didn't see a lot of tight end usage here, and I anticipate that to increase dramatically. So even with the wide receivers, I expect more tight end play. I expect more uh, GT counter. I see more um, uh, and then more power running it down your throat, making the offensive line just push those dudes around and go. So that will be your biggest scheme change. Heavier run, even though Lebby is a big is a is a is a heavy run offense. Um, a little bit. I think he's more of a 55-45. I can see this being more 60-40 when uh with Latrell with the run game toward pat uh to run game to pass ratio. And it's just because that's the way his offense have always gone. But his quarterback still will throw him for 35. 4,000 yards. You know, they still have the capabilities of doing that because they have the opportunity to it to leverage that, especially with the speed that we're putting out there at wide receiver. So that's the big changes I'd expect. You're going to see a lot more running down people's throat. Yeah. And that, that's something that I kind of wanted to touch on. Uh, and this is sort of a two part question. We talked, you talked a little bit about the offensive line with regard to the portal. Uh, a lot of attrition on the offensive line. A couple of guys gone to the draft, several hit the portal. Uh, from my understanding, you had four or five also come in in the portal. So probably a lot of new faces up front. But that being said, man, looking at these numbers, like uh, Sawchuck, 6.2 a carry. Walker, five yards a carry. I mean, they, they, I feel like they should have run it more <laughs> last year. Like they, I don't know. I feel like Sawchuck was massively underused based on the stuff that I'm looking at here. So yeah, his, his rate stats are not like, ridiculous but they're impressive enough to where you think maybe maybe stretch that out a little more personally but i'm always a run the ball if you can guy right so i guess Same. i guess that ties into the offensive line i mean what my biggest question surrounding this team and it may not be the biggest question for you guys but it's mainly can they hold up week to week against the grind of SEC defensive lines, you know, and that's, that's kind of the big question here. So with all the new faces supposedly on the offensive line, what's that going to look like? I mean, do you think they'll be able to hold up? I don't know what their situation is, who they've got coming in, anything like that. So what's the, mm -hmm. what are we looking like up front in the trenches? How do you think they'll hold up? So I think that the line will hold up well. It's going to be, of course, some growing pains going into things. But the good thing is, is that my anticipation is you'll see more uh, familiar faces for Sooner fans playing than we will see a lot of the transfer. So there's like there's three guys that I'm I'm high on that I anticipate really leading the offensive line. You've got Jacob Sexton. He played in the uh, Cheez-It Bowl against Florida State, and he was hurt within like three games. He's a true freshman at that point, and he tore his ACL. Well, he basically rehabbed, it, rehabbed all through most of last season, and he came back late in the year. BYU – and forward, he was back out there playing at the right tackle position with Walter Rouse handling the left side. 
I can see Sexton being out there taking over the left side because Big Sexy is he's a beast. He's he's a nice size offensive lineman that well, he's definitely going to handle that portion of it. Troy Everett got some run at guard last season because Andrew Rain was our center at the point at that point, but Troy's going to be moving right there in the center spot. Uh, he's, he came from Appalachian State. He was a transfer year uh, the year before, and he got some run this past season. We got him bulked up, beefed up, stronger, and he'll be running the center spot because I think he's the best center with young Joshua Bates right behind him, nipping at his heels to take the spot, but... Everett is a redshirt junior, so I anticipate him running that. And then at the right tackle spot, you got Jake Taylor, uh, the other Jake. So you got Jacob and Jake running the tackle spots. I think they'll be your bookends. And then from there, you'll start seeing the new guys. Like I think uh, Fabici uh, Weiwu has been getting a lot of high marks. Brent Venables mentioned him recently that he's a dude that's out there fighting, and he's one that is showing impressive strength. And all they've got to do is get his footwork going and get everything uh, lined up. But I anticipate he'll probably start at the left guard spot, right? And in your right guard position, you know, it's kind of be a little bit up in the air. I'm sensing either a young Keith Uzeda is going to get an opportunity to take that. You may see Michael Tarkin, who was a transfer that recently came in, get it. You may see uh, Jaron Hatchett, who was a transfer from Washington. He may end up winning that spot. Um Dave, we've got a lot more depth that has come in just from players that have enough experience to make it happen. Spencer Brown, who started at right tackle at Michigan State for two years, didn't mention him because he was a starter at Michigan State. I don't know if he's going to be able to beat out Jake Taylor for the starting spot at right tackle, right? If he comes in and young Taylor takes that spot, he'll be right behind him for a good rotation of bigger guys. And so, as you mentioned, attrition is going to be critical going into the SEC and the best part is, is that when we got all the, we've got, we've got a good, a solid two deep. The question is those guys behind them, which is all freshmen, right? You're going to be looking at Isaiah Autry coming out of Mississippi, six, seven, six, six, 300 pounder, right? He's, he's trained, played against SEC guys. Cause he's from the state of Mississippi. He's one to look at. You got Eddie Pierre Lewis out of Tampa Catholic. He'll be here in the summer. Cause he can't graduate. He can't, they don't do uh, early graduations at his school, but He's a big boy. There's videos of him running track and he's out there cooking dudes at like 300 pounds. It's like, wait, 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 that's terrifying. Like it's terrifying watching him run like that. It's like, but he can move. And so you'll see him at the guard spot, Eugene Brooks, which has been on a lot of people's list at uh, Sierra Canyon, California. He's one that a lot of people have talked about being a potential impact player immediately as a freshman. And he's a big boy. He's got that strength. And then you got, um, Daniel Akinkumi out of uh, London, the big NFL Academy kid, which yeah, you go yeah. watch his uh, streams is pretty funny. Yeah, I've He's seen some. I've, yeah, and, I've seen some of his stuff. That guy's an animal. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to play all five positions. He wants to be proficient at all five. Yeah, and so you've got all these dudes that want to do that, and then in the middle of all of this, you got Coach Bill Beatenbow, in which he's known in NFL circles. When they look for linemen, teams will look like Andy Reid mentioned him. He's like, oh, yeah, we're loving the guys we're getting from Oklahoma. We pay attention to what they put out. He's going to be able to take a lot of these dudes and mold them into something special. And I, I say that because you can tell the eth- the work ethic these guys have and the, and the thoughts of them coming to Oklahoma specifically to play here. Tyler Guyton came here from TCU. He was recruited as a defensive tackle. And he played tight end. He's probably one of the freakish, one of the freakish, more freakishly athletic dudes uh, that I 
potentially seen. Six seven, three hundred plus pounds, and he can move like a tight end. Like he's he caught a touchdown at TCU. We brought him in, threw him out there at tackle, and he's now mocked to be in the first round of the NFL draft. Right? <laughs> that tells you just the work of a Bill Beaton bow to take a guy that raw. Yeah. Make the dude a first rounder. Like him and Jared Verse were duking it out in that Cheez It Bowl, and he was winning a lot more than Verse was. It was so impressive watching the film of him. I'm just like, he's got the footwork, his hand placement is solid. All he's got to do is just refine those skills, refine the footwork, refine where his hand placement is. Keep, don't go too high because he's 6'7. He's also a ginormous human. Like, think Trent Williams, but bigger and a little bit more athletic. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, how terrifying is that? Yeah, that that that's the that's the stuff of huge NFL contracts. Is what that is. So exactly. So so now that we have <laughs> the offensive line sorted out, uh, we're going to talk about what everybody wants to know, and that is expectations for Jackson Arnold. So we almost made it to the thirty minute mark before we um, talked about Jackson all, Arnold. Almost. So the first question That'd that I want to add. Yeah, must be. So the first question I want to ask you, Jay, because me and Eric have speculated about this, and I haven't read anything that confirmed this, but I want to know what you're hearing in your circles. Did they tell Dylan Gabriel to transfer? Because you don't just cut a Heisman winner, or not a winner, but a Heisman candidate Heisman that's candidate. that good, that's completing 70% of his passes, has 12 rushing touchdowns, all the stuff they did, you don't cut that dude unless there's some NIO considerations for Arnold, like we don't want to lose this kid, that kind of stuff. So I, it makes sense of it for me and Eric on the Dylan Gabriel <laughs> situation. Like, have you heard anything on that front? Because yeah, I, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us. I was kind of leaning like he was maybe told like, you're probably not going to start. So then he not, not like explicitly said, Hey, you should, you should leave. Cause you're not going to play, but maybe kind of, you're going to have to compete. Yeah. G- gently nudged, if we will. So I'm going to be honest. I don't even think he was gently nudged. <laughs> I think he saw the writing on the wall himself. You think he's like, a nah, smart guy and read the room? Yeah, he read the room. Because, I mean, if anything, the anticipation was that he was just going to be there for t- be here for two years and help usher in the new era of Sooner Civilization. We didn't expect him to be here all three years, but I mean, it'd been nice just because of being a veteran presence, but I expected him honestly to go to the draft. I figured someone would take a flyer on him. Hell, if anybody that could really use him, Miami could leverage him because that's two lefties right there that are pretty cerebral in the way they throw the ball. So if you know you have another episode with, with Tua, here's your next lefty from Hawaii. I kind of think that would be a smart move, but it didn't seem like he must have graded well because he's back. And he, I think he saw the writing on the wall and was like, yeah, I don't think there's a chance that I'm going to beat him in watching him play. He's like, I'm not going to be able to beat him. So he decided to go ahead and make moves. So that's, that's what I've heard is that there wasn't a, you can't come back, but it was probably a, we appreciate your service. (laughs) No promises. Yeah. Don't, don't call us. We'll call you. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, exactly. So, expectations for Arnold. I mean, this dude, I I can't remember a situation in recent memory where I heard more times someone say, I think the backup is better than the starter, except maybe Kansas State because their backups are always better than their starters. But 
outside of that, I mean, this kid apparently is the real deal. And I mean, we watched him play a little bit. He's a gunslinger. He slings it around, turned it over a couple times. So, I mean, is this dude everything that they're saying he is? I mean, are we talking like this guy's going to be in the Heisman conversation by October or what? So I know that we we've seen one guy come in as a red shirt freshman, not at Oklahoma, but in college football and kind of burn things up. And everybody was kind of, you know, was high on the train. And now as he prepares for the NFL draft, he's he, he's really being looked at heavy. It's Drake May. I sense the same thing out of this kid, right? He's mobile, good vision. Problem in that game against Arizona in that bowl game is first start. He was kind of eyeballing his safety blanket, which was Drake Stoops one of the more consistent hands in college football. I mean, he was our top receiver in catches and yards as we were spreading things out, but he was that Mr. Reliable type setup, right? Kind of like when you think about like the way that Julian Edelman ran his routes with the Patriots, right? He was one of those guys that he was just finding a way to get into these little pockets and he'd be open. So you would always throw it to him. And so for Jackson, it was more so reading the defenses, understand what's going on and boom, he was trying to force it. Well, the good thing is, is that after the couple of missteps, you started watching him in the middle of it. You're like, oh, wow, this this kid's got it. I mean, the deep launch to Brennan Thompson, which Brennan will be back next year. He's a 4-3 dude. Um, speed, like, I think his track was like a 10-3 in the 100. I think his best time was like a 10-2. So you've got Blazers at the wide receiver spot that now Jackson Arnold's been working with as the number one more often, training with, working out with. And I sense... He's, he's the Gatorade player of the year and top five quarterback in the country in his class. He has all the tools and intangibles to be great. The question is, is what does his work ethic look like to be great? And the rumor has it is that's kind of why Dylan Gable kind of looked at him just like, yeah, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to beat him. He's got all the arm talent. He's got the, he's got the leg speed to run. He can scramble. I truly feel like this is a Drake made 2.0 situation just because of his game. He can make throws that throw he made to Nick Anderson cross his body to the back of the end zone and Nick was able to slide and catch it. I was like, yep, we're going to see a lot of that next season. Yeah. That's, that, that's some Patrick Mahomes shit. When I, I saw that, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. he, so th- this guy's different. Okay. Got it. But, but all right. So w- now that we've got a handle on offense and defense and all that, we're going to just kind of take and make this discussion sort of general. So, Eric, I know you probably have a couple of general questions, but I'm going to sneak one in first on Jay. Uh, looking yep. at looking at the schedule, they don't really have much time to get it going in the SEC before they really get it going. I mean, they've got you know Houston and Tulane, who neither one of those teams are really pushovers, I guess, more so nope. Houston being a pushover than Tulane. But uh, – <laughs> I mean, then once they get into conference play, it's just one after the next, yeah. man. Like they don't, they don't both feet. Yeah, they they don't really get much of a a week off. They they definitely got a worse draw than Texas here. So I mean, how do you see them navigating this schedule? Like, I don't know, Eric. Do you offhand do you know what their win total is yet? Have you looked seven at and it? a half? That, seven that and was going to okay. be kind of seven we're going to close with Vegas that. Davis. But yeah. Okay, so how do you see them sort of navigating this schedule on the front end versus the back end, which obviously is much tougher. No, I mean, it, it's a fair question. So in looking at it, the good thing for Oklahoma is is that the, the, the way the schedule is laid out, 
it's a little it's 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 kind of advantageous to way Oklahoma is going to want to perform, and I'll explain that. You start off like you said, we've got you know Temple, then we've got Houston, Tulane. Good thing about those two teams is both of them had coaching changes. Tulane's coach went to Houston, and he, Tulane got them a new coach. So we're dealing with teams that are dealing with whole new regimes, trying to sort things out and figure out what they're going to be next, right? And so because of that, that helps us with going up against first-team coaches, trying to figure out what they're going to do with the coach that's been here for a bit with the defensive experience that's returning because he's a defensive guy. You, you add that piece in, so that's your first three games. Then we go against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee, I think, is going to be a challenge, mainly because Nico is – He's good. He was actually my favorite quarterback in the class. I thought that he was the one with the highest highest ceiling of them all. I think I thought that Jackson Arnold was the best over best all around. And honestly, I thought Malachi Nelson was the worst of the five star quarterbacks. And it's kind of come to fruition so far. Is that, is that the kid who went to <laughs> Boise? That he's at, yeah, that's Boise he's State Boise guys. State. There, yeah. Lincoln Riley's guy. Yeah. Lincoln Riley's guy. Is at Boise State. Would you ever thought a quarterback? that Lincoln Riley brought in would be headed to Boise State because he wasn't going to make it? I don't know if I don't I don't know how many times Jay you've been on our show before. I don't know how many times you've ever listened to it outside of that, but we're we're not big Lincoln Riley fans here. Uh I'll just go ahead and Most tell aren't. you we, oh, I've heard I've heard <laughs> we, 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 it's we're, we're pretty uh we don't hide our dis, dismay and dislike for his coaching style. I'll just put it that way. Yep. Yep. I know. And, and I mean, and, you know, as a Sooner fan, we're kind of in the same boat. Um, we, we, we're still, if you ask any Sooner fan about 2017 uh, Rose Bowl, they'll tell you their disdain for Lincoln Riley at that point. So we'll just leave it at that. Still, uh, but still, still a tender topic. Got it. Jesus, it is. It burns. <laughs> I mean, Heisman Trophy winner. All you need is yeah. a competent defense. And, let your Heisman Trophy winner cook. You might have finished out that game with that three touchdown lead at halftime and kept it there. But no, you got comfortable. You, you wanted to yeah. scoring fifty and losing to that <laughs> Right. So, but no, it's um, That Tennessee game's gonna be tough just because of that, but at the same time, Venables knows Hypel. Venables knows what to expect. I think that he can pull that W out, right? You go from there, and then you to go to Auburn. Out how to say this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got a you got so, a little stretch there where you got some winnable games between Auburn, South Carolina. Even even Mizzou, who is much improved, maybe you know there. That's not a, a game that I would look at and say, "Oh well, yeah, Mizzou's going to win." You know, that's like I look at right. that as a, to- a toss up game. You know, yeah, and and that's the game that I'm not I'm not concerned when it comes to them. But I think the bigger one is is okay. Auburn game is going to be huge because we travel to Auburn, and Auburn Jordan hair is weird. It's it's haunted or something like that. I've heard Auburn but Auburn the, Jesus weird things happen. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of weird things. There, yeah. there weird are things no... happen there. Yes. But I don't think Hugh Freeze will be ready because I don't think he even knows who his quarterback is yet. And since that's the case, I think we'll, we'll be fine going into that game. Now, this is where I say there's some ad- advantages in there built in for us. Auburn, 
bye week. Then we got Red River, in which Texas will be coming off playing against Georgia. Ugh. That, my friends, is going to be a stressful one for those boys, right? I mean, they'll have Michigan. They're going to have to play Georgia, which they're going to play against two very physical teams. Uh, I'm sorry, Georgia's neck the week after. They got Michigan. Then they'll have a bye and then us. And that Michigan game is going to be a physical one. But then after us, they got to play against Georgia. So it's not going to be one of those. It's just going to be just simple, right? Um, We got South Carolina coming to the crib, which I think we'll be fine at. The Oxford game is going to be the interesting one because it's Lane Kiffin. You don't know what you're going to get out of. It's Pete Golding. You know, the the third and Golding jokes is always fun because you (sighs) throw a wheel right off the man. And guess what? You got a touchdown. Uh, so we got Pete Golding coming right after that, and I'm curious to what that's going to look like. But the next advantage comes here: the beauty of playing in the SEC. We'll play Maine after Ole Miss. Yeah, that's get that week, bye week. Get that week of living soft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we that's a technically a bye week. Then we play Missouri in Missouri, so we get a bye week before playing against Missouri, which I believe they actually have a tough game the week before us, right? After them, we get a bye week, an official bye week. And then Alabama comes to town. <sighs> now, the game that terrifies me at all of this is traveling to Death Valley LSU for Thanksgiving weekend. All because you play Bama, then you travel to, to, to Death Valley to play against LSU, which that's going to be a night game because if, if everything plays out the way I anticipate – there will be playoff implications in that game. At least someone getting the last spot, if anything. And so, overall, I don't think that the schedule's tough. This is the this is one of the hardest schedules in college football. We're ranked number two behind Florida's schedule, mainly because we don't play Georgia and Bama. Um, but the 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 breaks we have are in great strategic spots. And yeah, I think given- that's what's going to help us be able to survive this schedule. Given the list of opponents, um, it's tough. But it, looking at it, it does seem like they're helped by kind of uh, what's the word distribution, I guess, or the spacing of it. Like yeah. you're talking about, that's a good way. Um, you know, whereas like Florida, it's like, hey, here's these nine ranked opponents right in a row. Go play them. Five are on the road. <laughs> right. May the odds be ever in your favor, um, <laughs> and, and they won't be. May the odds um, ever be in your favor. Hold on, I got a pop up here. Um, I want to kind of follow up. I, I didn't want to butt in on the offensive discussion, but I did have a couple of follow up questions. You talked about the tight end, so you're talking about a little more. If they'll have inline tight end because a lot of the Kiffin offenses, when I watch them play, uh, and even Oklahoma when Levy was there, was a little more like H back type. You're talking like third guy on the line uh, will actually block someone legit tight end. Yes. yes, that's what okay. I anticipate. More of that, and and also using them across the middle for catching, like mm-hmm. actually making having your tight end ready there to catch. So having them in line, and then they break off, make some catches or block. You, you, I think you'll have a combination of both. Something that you we haven't seen from Oklahoma since. I mean, yeah. technically Mark Andrews. Yeah, less. We'll get more less, of that set up. Less H block, uh, H back, living out in the in the flats and. Um, and yes. then what was the, oh, uh, we we're talking about Jackson Arnold. Um, so how much, how many play action deep shots are we going to see? 
Like, because you you talked about some of I'll the honest. some of the burners outside, and if they're going to try to be going between the tackles more, that maybe sets up some play action. We we know Jackson Arnold can get the ball there. Um, you know, we're looking at three, four goal balls a game. That sounds about a that's a fair number to to put out there. I really anticipate them putting his arm to work. I mean, what's the point of having dudes that are fast if you're not going to use them, right? We see Nick Anderson do that on some routes. He can get he can he's done a great job in his route running. He can get a good cut, hit a post, and you just throw it to him. He's going to go out there and catch it. Jake Gibson, one of the younger wide receivers, um, the season before he had an issue with drops. This past season, he figured it out and he had 11 catches and he had four touchdowns. Right? He he's figured out. How to go deep, catch it, and go. He'll break tackles as well because he's a big dude. So Nick Anderson, 6'4", Jaden Gibson, 6'5". You'll have uh, Jaleel Farouk's back, which is more of a sure-handed wide receiver who had fumbling problems this past season. I anticipate that should be fixed. And he can also catch deep balls. And then Brennan Thompson, who's, like I said, he's a he's a 4'3 guy. You got Jaquez Petaway, who's roughly a 4'3 guy. I, I sense that we're going to see a lot more of those dudes, and, and other ones are 4'4 guys, you know, Nick Anderson as well as Jaden Gibson. They're four four guys. Farouk's probably a four five, four six guy. But I anticipate them leveraging his arm. Jackson Arnold can overthrow them. Let's see if we can overthrow them. And taking advantage of that. So I three to four is a safe number. You might actually see closer to ten. He may actually try to just blow the top off on a regular basis, get the score up early, and then just slow it down by running it down your throat. Yeah. Yeah, like any any second and a two or shorter is like an automatic send it and Mm-hmm. Well, let's see if we can blow him out. If not, just hand it off to one of our either our fast running back in uh, Gavin Salchuk, who's now healthy. Most of the season he was dealing with a hamstring problem, but the minute he got healthy, he ran for 100 yards in five straight games, and that's where you saw that average was pretty nice. Um, and we've got some other big guys uh, in the backfield that can break out. Uh, Javante Barnes is healthy. I'm thinking his foot's gotten better. He had foot surgery going into last season to clean up something that was bothering him from high school. And um, so, yeah, so you got a redshirt freshman running. Well, he'll be redshirt, uh, redshirt sophomore running back. And both Barnes and Salcha. So you got young backs and um, a few others behind him. Caleb Hicks, who's also who's a redshirt, who'll be a redshirt freshman. So you've got, you've got the backs that'll be able to get you the yards you need to on those short ones. But yeah, leveraging opportunity with a play action. Oh yeah, you know we're gonna go for it. Mm. All right. Well, before we let you go, Jay, I got two quick questions, and you don't have to draw them way out. I know you got to get out of here, but uh, first question that I have: bottom line, yes or no? Do they make the twelve team playoff this year? First year in the SEC, can they do it with this schedule? As tough as it can is, can they? Yes. Can they? Yes, they can. As, as I laid out, based upon the way the schedule is set up, there are great spots to help with breaks that's needed in anticipation of playing certain teams. I totally can see Oklahoma making it in there. They just got to execute. The hardest part is execution. If you execute, you'll probably be fine. Like, looking at everybody else, they're playing, man, it's, it's, it can happen. They can do it. I can say yes. They can. They can make it. They can. Uh, will they? That's a different question, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna go ahead and just put it out there. I'll say yeah. I'll say they'll make it into the twelve. 
Oh, Maybe in let's the go. Later. I think they'll make it into the 12. Let's go. Write that shit down, Eric. I'll Do put it. them on the table. Why not? <laughs> Pull up. I like it. Do it. Well, right. I mean, really, it comes down to LSU, Alabama, Missouri. I'm sorry. Uh, Texas, yeah. Mississippi, Texas, and Tennessee. Win three out of those five, and then you're in pretty good shape, right? Um, yep. So... The middle of our schedule is where it's tough. I don't think South Carolina is going to be a problem. Um, I don't anticipate yeah. Auburn being a problem yet. I think Hugh Freeze needs a little bit more time. Tennessee is going to be a challenge, but I think we can overcome them this year. Is Tennessee still, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of refresh from that roster. I believe they were uh, they were middle of the pack in returning um, talent yeah. for the SEC. So Oklahoma coming in this season. They were the number one team in the SEC in returning defense, and they were at the bottom of the barrel. They were dead last at 16 in returning offense. And, of course, you know why with returning offense, right? They don't have – they literally lost all their passing yards and then the offensive line. So, granted, we get why they would be rated so low in that, but that's kind of where things get interesting. And so Tennessee's just two spots above Oklahoma in returning production on the offensive side – and then number eight, dead smack in the middle and returning defense. And so we got a defensive guy that's bringing back all his defensive dudes. I think that's going to probably help them overcome a team that's ranked 14th in returning production on the offensive side, even though I am very high on Nico. Very high on Nico. Well, right, that's what's so, going to help. So, to me. so last question I would have for you is uh, – What's your first job on college football EA Sports 25? You taking what what team are you taking <laughs> to the national championship, dude? So you know, the tradition for me has been Wyoming for years. Just Ooh. that brown for some reason looks great when you're <laughs> holding up a trophy. Um, I don't know what it is, just that doo-doo brown just makes you just be like, man. Uh, as I say, the, the shit no brown with the mustard yellow trim. You can't go wrong. Exactly. It's just the most disgusting and ugliest thing I've ever seen. So if I'm going to take anybody, it's probably going to be between them, Bowling Greens. I have his thing for disgusting browns with random colors, and that orange with it is, has, 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 has stepped up for me. Or I may just go ahead and switch it up and just go down to North Texas. Why not be a mean green? You know, mm. show them a little bit of love. I like Could that. Potentially do that. So I think one of those three may get my attention. Um, if I feel like I, um, the last team I will consider would be Tulane just because it'd be fun to just, you know, take a former SEC team to a national championship. Cause I believe if I'm correct, they have more, S- they have more SEC championships than Texas A&M and they left That's a fact. like what, 65, 65. That is so, fact. Yeah. So I, so love, does I love that random stat. I was so does Georgia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't it always fun? It's just to crap on the Aggies, but to answer your other question you all had was around the win totals of seven and a half. I think Oklahoma gets nine this year. I think mm. nine is the floor. Um, your three tough games between Texas, LSU on the road, and possibly Ole Miss are the ones that where I see the biggest challenge. Bama still got to figure out what they're going to do with their lives, especially with Kellen DeBoer taking over. If they would have brought in Ryan Grubb, I would have probably put us at eight. But Grubb didn't follow. Now I got questions about how they're going to orchestrate that offense. They will, because DeBoer, I feel like, is a really good coach. He's probably going to have to take him a year, though, to, to really – break in everybody into his offense because these kids aren't walking into a traditional Saban offense with a new offensive coordinator where all the terminology is the same, but you know, 
You're just uh, running it in, in different different little wrinkles added to it. Now, this is going to be a complete overhaul. And I think that DeBoer will figure it out, but we got to see what that looks like with uh, some of these young players. So mm. I think well, it's a nine-win season for Oklahoma as their floor. Nice. Well, we'll get more next week on Bama with uh, Chase Goodbread of the Tuscaloosa News. will be on with us next week joining us. Jay, we appreciate very much uh, you taking the time to come on with us. So uh, while we got you here, go ahead and plug your shows that you do. Where can people find you, Unfair Sports, the sooner or later? How, how, yeah. how can they go find your stuff? Yeah, search me on YouTube, Unfair Sports. Uh, the podcast that's on there is called Sooner or Later Sports. Um, you'll see that within the podcast portion of the playlist. Check it out and find us wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. Follow me on Twitter at Unfair Sports. I'm there as well, um, spamming everybody with college football stuff, especially now that we got the uh, college football playoff looking to expand in two years. Like, like how are we already at this point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, that's a that's another topic for another show, Jay. We'll bring you back on later in the summer if you want to yell at the clouds with us. But uh, either way, I am the old man would love to do it. (laughs) All right, buddy. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yep. See it. (sighs) All right, man. Good stuff. Boy, gave us all kind of good info on OU, man. Nine wins, maybe double digits, playoffs. I mean, that's pretty interesting stuff. You you're not buying it. <laughs> I, I I think they can. Uh, I'm 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 confident that over seven and a half is going to get my money. Um, I don't know if I would go to nine, but I would want to see how that offensive line shakes out and what it looks like through the first half of the season before I got too crazy committing to a ninth win. Um, but I I do think they'll be very good. I, the thing that struck me when I watched Jackson Arnold play in the bowl game was yeah he had some turnovers you can coach a kid out of those decisions, right? You can't coach a kid into making the type of throws that he makes. Yeah. Right. We've talked about it with other guys. Like he's, he's got skills that they can't teach him. Right. Um, so you can work with that. And I think, I think they will. And I think he'll be a really good player for them. Yeah. I would tend to agree. Definitely. Uh, I, you know, for a long time, I thought, oh, well, I saw the schedule initially. I was like, man, they're going to get their asses hand t- handed to them in year one. But I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I, I'm i kind of more open-minded to it. You know, I look at it like maybe the transfer portal has evened things out a little bit across the country. You know, we've seen in a one-game vacuum in the playoffs, teams like Alabama lose or whoever, you know, so mm-hmm. – Maybe they can stand up week to week, but the offensive line to me is the biggest concern. I mean, if they if they don't get some stuff handled on the offensive line, they're going to get handled a lot. So yeah, I, I I guess I'm I came out of that discussion feeling like if they don't get to seven and a half, uh, it's because they had issues on the offensive line. It sounds like the interior would be maybe more likely to be a problem. Yeah. Um, because he Jay sounded pretty confident that the guys out out on the end, uh, the tackles would be okay, but um, you know, the injury bug bites your offensive line, and it becomes a long season fast. So, uh, best of luck to them. Um, but that that would be my guess. If if I you know wake up in December and Oklahoma has finished seven and five, and they're going to you know, some mid-tier bowl game. My guess is it will look back and then 
they struggled to run the ball and protect the quarterback because they had issues up front. <clears throat> well, whatever happens, all I hope is that somebody uh, in college football decision-making does the right thing. And if Oklahoma wins more than six games, I fully expect Oklahoma State to win more than six games this year because Ollie Gordon is the man. And do the right thing, college football, and put them in a bowl game against each other. Make Bedlam happen. The like, Bedlam Bowl. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's got I, I'm so butthurt that we don't have the Bedlam game this year. Like it's it's been literally one of the best games to watch for like the last five, six years straight. To yeah, where it's it, the most appropriately named yeah. rivalry game as well. Yeah. I mean, it it's just been absolutely crazy. So I am going to miss that uh, this year. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff on OU. So next week, Eric, we're talking about Bama. That's right. We are. That's uh, that's the plan anyway. Yeah. So uh, Chase Goodbread will be on with us. We'll be live Tuesday night at 730 Eastern, a little bit before Bama's tip off. I think they tip off at 9 o'clock that night. So we'll we'll get that knocked out before uh, before the basketball game gets going. And we'll see what Kalen DeBoer's got cooking. Uh, get some updates there, Milro, all that kind of stuff. So I did see uh, one interesting quote from uh, the defensive coordinator at Bama. He said he interviewed with Saban, and it was like, what did he say? He's like, it was like cramming for a final. <laughs> Talking about interviewing with Saban regarding the defense. So, Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being a guy like, you're talking about Kane Womack? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he interviewed with Saban before? Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I, I didn't see like the date that it happened or when it was, but I just saw a quote. Well, from I, I mean, I know Saban. that he was, yeah, I know Saban was doing assistant interviews up until like the morning he decided he was retiring. Um, I just hadn't heard that Kane Womack was one of those guys. But yeah, I, I couldn't imagine being a, an assistant coach interviewing with Nick Saban for a defensive <laughs> coordinator position. Like how nerve wracking would that be? Yeah. That's like Albert Einstein grading your physics final. Like, Yeah, not good. So, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. I'd be shook. I don't know. <coughs> All right. Well, you got anything else? Cause nope. I'm, I, I'm good. So, All right. Well, uh, you guys can find us on the interwebs at South End Zone Pod. That's anywhere you get your podcast, the South End Zone, or on YouTube. And uh, click subscribe if you haven't already and we would appreciate that so we'll be back with you guys next week hopefully I don't sound like I'm talking through a straw and we'll be talking some Alabama football with Chase Goodbread we'll see you guys then thank you very much have a great day